These are heady days for Canada's Green Party, a second MP in the House of Commons, and more than just moral victories in PEI, where it makes up the official opposition, in BC, where it controls the balance of power, and in Ontario, where a Green MPP sits at Queen's Park. But can all the goodwill translate into seats in the next federal election? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Here at the Cafe, we aim to bring you guests and issues for discussion and debate. The Unpublished Cafe is part of the Unpublished Media suite of websites created to inform and educate Canadians on current affairs and political issues. Each podcast delves into a different issue in a nonpartisan way so listeners and viewers can share their informed opinions with Canadians and their local MPs through unpublishedottawa.com and unpublished.vote. The upcoming federal election will be a focus for us to bring you a balanced view of the parties and their policies. And while the writ has yet to drop, it could at any moment, and an election campaign would be underway. And for Green Party leader Elizabeth May, there has never been more wind in her sails as she embarks on the quest for more Greens in the House of Commons. The Green Party is polling higher than it has in years, to the point it's snipping at the heels of the NDP. The party's key issue, the environment and climate change, is shaping up to be one of the key issues in this election. Now, before Canadians head to the polls with the Unpublished Cafe, we'll bring you one-on-one interviews with the leaders. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Elizabeth May, the longest-serving leader of any of the political parties. And, And welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Ed. It's really great to be here. Now, for you, what feels different this time around compared to previous elections? I have to say it's sort of just about everything. <laughs> we've, just been, we've been so encouraged by, you mentioned the increased number of, of um, numbers in our polling, some very high specific numbers, uh, particularly for British Columbia, but also for the Maritimes. We've, it, it, uh, pollsters are saying things now, such as that we're clearly established as the third-party choice throughout the Maritimes, and we're uh, certainly competitive with the NDP in Quebec. And, and Manitoba. So we're, we're looking at a situation where almost anything could happen. Of course, I don't really think polls tell us very much. They can shift fast. But there's a trend that's happening, and it looks quite solid. And at the same time, I'm really also encouraged because the thing that has, you know, there's two things that have hurt us in previous election campaigns. Um, and w- one is participation in debates. We would have elected quite a few Greens in the last election, but the and, and for pe- a lot of people missed what happened. But uh, because of me sitting in Parliament as an elected MP for the Greens, under all previous rules, I was in the debates, and the cons- the media consortium had invited me to participate in the in the big debate that was taking place in English language and French language, and the NDP and the Conservatives worked together to get that debate canceled, and it was canceled. And as a result, um, there was much less access for Canadians to hear about, well, the the positions of all the parties, but canceling that debate and then having a bunch of small boutique debates created by corporate friends of of the Harper uh, contingent led to a a real uh, being shut out of the campaign as well as the election because the media coverage of what parties are like the real parties stems from are they in the debates? So it's been, as you said, I'm the longest serving leader. This is going into my fourth election. This is the first time in since I first represented the party going forward in 2008 that the uh, rules are clear and the backroom collusion between the NDP and the Conservatives, which every single time has sought to keep me out of the debates, uh, has been set to one side. Now, they, they may still try to, to change their minds, but as of now, they've all committed to participating 
in the consortium debate, and that is really encouraging. And then the last thing that's made a big difference is that uh, with a split on the right now, with the emergence of the People's Party, and with a less polarizing figure, I think much less polarizing in terms of emotions than Stephen Harper in Andrew Scheer, we have uh, much less reason to fear the last-minute siren call of you can't vote for what you want, you have to hold your nose and vote for so-and-so because so-and-so else is so much worse. Those things aren't happening right now, and I think uh, that's, um, it, that it's just about the best set of factors we're ever going to face as a party. Now, well, you, you had mentioned that you will be in the leaders' debate this time around, uh, and obviously that is going to be a benefit for the Green Party. Do you think that Maxime Bernier should be included in those debates as well, because he also has a seat in the House of Commons? Yeah, the the the, the uh, rules are clear and the criteria are transparent, which is something we've been asking for for years. And they set the rule that you had to have a seat and be elected under the name of the seat. Of the, you know, elected mm. under the banner of your own party. Now, back in the day when the Bloc Québécois was created, none of them won a seat in the name of their own party. So the Bloc wouldn't have made the cut back then. That's the challenge that um, Mr. Bernier has. There's three criteria. He's still trying to get in. It's, the door isn't shut on his participation. I think, for instance, it would make a lot of sense since the TVA debates, they've shut me out. I'm still trying to get in. This other debate that Trudeau has agreed to do, so it would be all the leaders except the Greens. And I think in that one, since we're trying to get in very clearly, it's outrageous that they would say we can't participate in the TVA debates. So those ones, given that they don't have rules and it's not a question of meeting criteria, and uh, it's a, they say they only want to hear from parties that, that have roots in Quebec, well, I think, I think it would be very fair to have Maxime Bernier in the TVA debate. But uh, he has to, if he's going to be in the consortium debate, he has to be able to to prove to the satisfaction of the uh, our commissioner, who's our former governor general, David Johnson, that that there's a, a reasonable op- reasonable chance that he'll elect more than one. In other words, his own seat, another a second seat, and they say, okay, then you're in the debate. Elizabeth May joining us this morning on the Unpublished Cafe as we're going to be talking to the leaders of all the parties before the federal election. And in terms of the upcoming election, I know the writ's not dropped yet, Elizabeth, but does the Green Party have a full slate of candidates for for the upcoming election? Well, we're very, very close. As a matter of fact, I'm pushing back. We, we wait wherever we can. Where it, Right now, if we have a candidate, uh, we have a lot of contested nominations. But we've been trying very hard, as we do in every election, to have a, a gender balance in our slate and to have representatives of, of diverse ethnicities and backgrounds. So we're trying. We, we've, we will have a more diverse slate than we've ever had before. But we don't control things top down. As a party, we're very committed to grassroots democracy. So I don't have the same uh, powers, nor do I want to interfere at the local level the way other leaders always do. So. Where we're still holding off, there's some writings where we're saying to the local electoral districts association, we we are hesitant to close this nomination where you've got two male candidates. Can't you find a woman? And then it's up to the local membership and how people vote for who the candidate will be. But we will have a full slate for sure. Now, just uh, reading today, Clive Doucette will be running in Cape Breton, former Ottawa City Councillor and former mayoral candidate. So what does he bring to the table for the Green Party? 
Oh, I'm so excited about Clive running. Clive Doucette, of course, is well known in the Ottawa area as a very, you know, a, a progressive and 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 brilliant uh, counselor. Also, I say brilliant in terms of the fact he's also a writer and a poet. And he's a very um, exciting candidate for us. Now, I'm people may not know this, but both Clive and I are originally from Cape Breton, so he's also well known in Cape Breton. Uh, that's where he has roots. And uh, so we, this will, he's the strongest candidate we've ever put forward uh, in Cape Breton, Canso, and there is no incumbent there. So uh, listeners who remember Clive Doucette fondly, please do donate to his campaign because uh, we, this, is, this is where we are um, significantly disadvantaged compared to the bigger parties, is that we just don't have massive amounts of funds. And I w- I'm really hopeful that Clive, and Clive is receiving local donations and getting off to the races soon. He's a terrific candidate, and his decision to become publicly a Green Party member is a big uh, well, I'd say it's an honor. It also is a signal that people are coming to the Greens from um, other parties where they traditionally people had traditionally thought of Clive as a new Democrat. I'm so thrilled that he's joined the Green Party and is running for us in Cape Breton, Canso. All right. Well, you, you talk about um, you know uh, parties and and uh, you know people moving from one party to another. Obviously, you know earlier this week uh, we've had um, a situation in New Brunswick where some NDP staff and candidates crossed the street to the Greens. And when did you learn about these defections? Uh, The day before I heard there was going to be a press conference in New Brunswick, I was, uh, it was Labor Day weekend, and I was spending Tuesday, I left, I left my home riding a little bit, I mean, I usually spend all three days of the Labor Day weekend at something called the Saanich Fair, shaking hands with literally thousands of people and chatting and listening to them. Anyway, I think sometime during the Labor Day weekend, I think it was on Monday, I heard, and I was flying to Toronto to do a full day of things, many of them with the Toronto Star. So I heard about it, but it wasn't organized by the Federal Green Party at all, and it wasn't even organized by the New Brunswick Green Party. It was organized by these disenchanted and disillusioned former New Democrats, and clearly they made a number of mistakes in terms of putting names on the list, uh, because subsequent to them saying we have 14 uh, former uh, provincial candidates, some federal uh, representatives, I don't think former candidates, but people who'd been involved with the party federally. I mean, the first person to really express unhappiness uh, as a new Democrat with what was going on was um, in, I think it was August, it was late August, that a former parliamentary colleague of mine, Evan Godin, who had been for, I think for decades, the member of parliament for Acadie Bathurst for the New Democrats, he spoke out to the media and said, we're so angry here because Mr. Singh has never come to see us in New Brunswick and we don't have any candidates nominated. So something was going on, clearly, within the New Brunswick New Democrats, in terms of being really unhappy to go to talk to the media. Now, Ivan Godin was not one of the people who uh, came into this press conference and said, we're joining the Green Party. Uh, some of their, I don't I really have no firsthand knowledge of what happened then. Uh, one of the people who said, we didn't know this was, we didn't know our name was going to be on a, in a press release, we didn't plan to join the Greens, uh, actually had had physically joined us and sent a donation before they then recanted and said they knew nothing about it. So what I'm told is that there were some very forceful phone conversations from the NDP headquarters to to each one of the people who wanted to join us. Uh, nine are committed and saying we're absolutely joining the Green Party, and I have no way of knowing what happened with the other five. But clearly, the, the, 
Mr. Singh not visiting New Brunswick led to the the loyal members in New Brunswick who've been working for the NDP, some of them for decades, so disillusioned that they decided to leave the New Democrats. Then the decision was, I'm really happy to welcome to the Green Party, but it it was, it certainly achieved, um, uh, um, well, I should say achieved. It drew more media attention than I ever would have thought because these aren't people who are, for instance, like Pierre Nantel, who's a sitting member of parliament, joining the Greens. That's a rather big deal. I expected more media coverage on that. And I had no expectation that there'd be media coverage about people who are not MPs and not currently candidates and not becoming candidates for us. They're just just taking out a membership. I didn't think it would be such a big deal, and I certainly didn't expect that I would be attacked over it. But you never know. Politics is weird, and that wasn't an experience I was expecting to have last week, trying to explain why I didn't do a better job vetting people I didn't know anything about. Elizabeth May is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, leader of the Green Party. And uh, let's talk a little bit about women in politics, because there's a call for more. But as we've seen with a recent situation for Environment Minister Catherine McKenna, it can be daunting to the point of, in this in this situation, requiring security. What's your message to women considering politics, but obviously concerned about their well-being? Well, there's no question, and it's something I mean, you, you may know. It. I, I recently got married, and my mm-hmm. so my husband of almost five months. He had he's been much more of a political animal than I have uh, for his whole life. He used to be a federal liberal, and he was a founder of the provincial. Uh, British Columbia Greens. Anyway, when 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 he looks at my Twitter feed, he he's horrified. He had no idea that women in politics were uh, assaulted on a daily basis with messages that are both misogynistic. Uh, some of them are threatening and physically and violent in their tone. And when I contact the Twitter company or the RCMP about messages, they'll say, "Well, that's not." so specific. That's not really a threat we're going to investigate. But they're daily. They're daily. Uh, So my message to women in politics is that the social media world needs regulating. My message to everyone is that there's no reason for us to tolerate this. Uh, Twitter, as a company, allows people to uh, create multiple personalities. They don't monitor. They say, oh, no, we're not publishing. We're just a platform. Well, I'm sorry. You are publishing. And the Ottawa citizen wouldn't allow something like this to go on because they publish. So Twitter and Facebook and all these so-called platforms say they're not publishers. That's to avoid their responsibility in law for creating a publication space with no rules. And I will hold them to account, and they will be regulated. There's no reason in the world for women or minorities or any human being you know, uh, there's a lot of nastiness towards individual climate scientists. The kinds of stuff that my colleagues, male colleagues in climate science face is not that different from what women in politics face. It is not acceptable to have so-called platforms where this sort of thing, which would be illegal in a newspaper, is somehow okay because it's in the ether. Well, it's not okay. And I don't think we should have to figure out how women in politics handle hate. I think we should shut down the hate. Elizabeth May is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe as uh, we look ahead to the 2019 federal election. The writ has yet to drop, but uh, obviously things are uh, coming close. Now, you're, you're talking about an all-party cabinet to work on climate change, and, and we've talked mm-hmm. about uh, partisanship, and let's face it, the House of Commons is very partisan. What makes you think this would work, considering how partisan the House has become? 
Well, first of all, the part the House should be less partisan. I don't know how many how many Canadians know that we are the only parliament within the Commonwealth, and I use the Commonwealth as the frame because the Commonwealth nations are the ones that have the Westminster parliamentary system. Pretty obvious when you consider the first word is Westminster. So the way our, our parliament and our democracy is organized is very, very different from how it is in the United States. We don't have a a position of president. The prime minister is not the equivalent of a U.S. president. There are many, many differences that really matter. And one of them is that the Speaker of the House controls what happens in the House. In every Commonwealth country except Canada, where our Speaker has, through tradition over a number of decades, ceded the rules and, and his or her authority to party whips. We should not allow so much partisanship in the House of Commons. We should in, in, insist that the rules are followed. And I'm very convinced that would lead to less partisanship, less heckling, a more respectful place in which to do our business. Now, why would it work in the climate context? And this is the far more important answer. We are in a climate emergency. That's another thing I should have said from the beginning of why are people looking at the Green Party right now? Well, uh, more and more Canadians not only understand that climate change is a serious issue and requires a response, they now realize this is an emergency. We are literally running out of time, literally, to protect human civilization from collapse. The stakes couldn't be higher. And once that is understood as a scientific reality... It's not a political dividing line. There should be no difference between the position of the conservatives, the liberals, New Democrats, and Greens in facing a climate emergency. Then, you know, that we should be as unified around that as our um, earlier generations were when faced with uh, the the threat of of a military takeover by a fascist regime under Adolf Hitler. We, we mobilized and acted as one unified society with a common purpose in wartime. Well, we, have, we don't have any foreign enemies massed at our borders, but we have, through our own addiction to fossil fuels, and poor land use choices. I mean, cutting down forests plays a big part of this. The, the Amazon being on fire is terrifying to the extent that it is this season. But all of this says one thing. Pull yourselves together as a society, because this is a moment for all hands on deck. We don't have time or space for incremental action by government. This is transformative it's massive. It can't be done in time with wasting time on idiotic debates, such as the ones we have in Parliament over climate and over carbon taxes. Remember one debate where one of the Conservatives asked me in the House, um, well, the British, Colum- British Columbians had that carbon tax for years. didn't stop their forest fires. Well, when you hear that kind of thing, you think, okay, this is, this is evidence that we need a lot more education. <laughs> Anyone should be embarrassed to ask a question like that because it betrays massive ignorance. And a, a decision, a political choice to remain willfully ignorant when your society is at risk isn't acceptable. So we need massive education. The, if, I, if the Greens win sufficient seats for us to be in a position to insist on it. And certainly, I don't rule out that we actually form government. The shift to the Greens is massive, and we should be prepared to say out loud, or or people won't think we're serious and ready. We're absolutely ready to form government. But if we have enough seats to play the same sort of role 
that the British Columbia Greens did in the formation of the current government that we have in BC. In other words, if we have what usually is called balance of power, but what Greens call the balance of responsibility, I would want to start the parliament before we even elect a speaker with scientific briefing for us in the chamber, live and broadcast across the country from the very best and most knowledgeable scientists in the chamber educating us and answering every question until people, regardless of party, are out of questions and realize, just as Greta Thunberg, uh, the, the Swedish youth activist, just as she recognizes, you know, I want you to act like the house is on fire because it is, I want to see that look on the faces of all my colleagues to make sure they actually internalize that this is a threat to their own children, to their grandchildren. This is not a political ploy that you can bat around the House of Commons like some sort of uh, Punch and Judy show. So that's where I believe that an inner cabinet will work, basically because it has to. And doing conventional politics has has been the single largest reason that we have failed over decades when we knew we had to act on climate change. We signed the Framework Convention on, on climate change in 1992, and here we are, uh, in you know, 27 years later, still uh, at the very beginning of whether we're serious or not. So we're out of time, and I believe that all party cooperation and collaboration is the only way forward. You know, I think the biggest pain for the Green Party, in particular, when you get closer to the election, is, is strategic voting. We talked about that earlier. How are you yeah. going to counter that this time around? Well, as I said, the the fact that the party, uh, that the, 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 the parliament at dissolution will have six parties in the House, and that across the country there'll be a minimum of five parties on the ballot, that'll be a very clear signal. And in Quebec, of course, six parties. It'd be a very clear sign that the right is split. Even if the People's Party and Max Bernier only get 3 to 4% of the vote, which is a lot of a vote, by the way, it's, it's not, I mean, the, all the other fringe parties in the, in the country put together never get 2% of the vote. It will be enough to deprive Mr. Scheer of a number of seats that, that conservatives might otherwise have gotten. So the, the volume around, oh, you know, you, 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 you know, Greens and Liberals and NDP, this, this absolutely false notion that we somehow split a vote uh, will not be as appealing. I'm sure they'll try. I'm sure the liberals will say at the last minute, you have to vote to protect the climate. Your only choice is to vote liberals because we're the only ones who can get in. You know, Greens don't split the vote. Um, Greens grow the vote. And we will, we will be, um, we're prepared. We know this happens every time. And I think it's a less powerful argument, as I said, when there's six parties that are going to be reelected and sent into the House of Commons. And when there's six parties, we're much more likely to be in a minority parliament within which people can also see the argument, okay, we're not talking about a two-party race or even a three-party race where voting green splits, you know, is, is, is you know, typically described as a wasted vote. People can now see that Greens get elected, so we go into the election with three MPs running for re-election because we now have Pierre Nantel and Langeis Hubert running as a Green, seeking re-election. We have uh, very, very strong prospects for electing Greens from the Maritimes. We talked about Clive Doucette. We're running very, very good campaigns, uh, particularly, I have to say, uh, PEI in New Brunswick, having already elected Green MLAs in good numbers. 
is fertile ground for us, but so also is Nova Scotia. So if you look across the country, I think it'll be much clearer to Canadians that they should ignore fear-based voting and vote for what they want. Elizabeth, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Elizabeth May has been leader of the Green Party since 2006 and first elected to the House of Commons in 2011. We at the Unpublished Cafe will endeavor to bring you one-on-one interviews with the leaders of the parties before we head to the ballot box. I want to thank Elizabeth for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, and I want to thank you for listening. I'm Ed Hand.